0: Anyone have any prayer requests? Good morning, also. <laughs> prayer requests? Gary, how'd your surgery go? Good. You're here, so it's at least some good. Good. <laughs> Pray for Jordan and Jennifer as they come home. I forgot to mention them last week, but uh, for Jennifer, just the loss of her dad. Getting over that. Is that too loud? Um, anything else? Pray for H.A. And it, I don't know if most of you saw a diagnosis this week of his prostate cancer. So pray for him. I think you said they're meeting with the whatever specialist on um, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So pray for him. My grandma, pray for my grandma. She's doing better. Got her off some medicine, so she's not feeling as bad. Yes. Yeah, pray for Mike. His throat, just uh, a lot of difficulty. Yes, Teresa. Sorry. Oh, okay. She said that there's a major flooding in Kenya. Is it the rain season? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, if that's all, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege to be able to come before you today and learn more about you and your goodness and your mercy. And we thank you, first and foremost, for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you gave as a sacrifice for us. The reason we're here today, we just think of a couple prayer requests. We think of uh, Jennifer and, and Jordan as they travel home today. But for Jennifer and, and also her mom on the loss of uh, a husband and a father, that you would just strengthen them through this time and that you would give them your peace and your comfort. Uh, for H.A., and uh, just his diagnosis for uh, him and Rhonda, that you would give the doctors wisdom, give them strength. And we thankful, or we're thankful that uh, Gary's surgery went well and uh, continue to heal him, if it be your will. We also think of uh, Brother Mike and just his struggles with his throat, Lord, and his voice and the pain that he has. We ask that you would uh, grant him relief, if it be your will. And there's so many other things we can pray for, Father, and uh, just the flooding in Kenya, as Teresa said, for a uh, Barbara and Daniels are there, there, that you would just uh, keep them safe through this difficult time and all of the people there. Thank you. Open our eyes, Lord, to receive your word today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, last week we kind of just did a general overview of, of uh, theology, which really is the study of God. And you could say one way or another in systematic theology, everything Begins or ends, however you want to look at it, with God. Whether it be us, creation, soteriology, the Bible, uh, ecclesiology, eschatology, all begins and ends with God. So let's keep that in our uh, in our minds. But um, today we're gonna. I have quite a bit to get uh, go through. And I did everyone at least receive a handout. Okay. Um, we'll hopefully, Lord willing, get to that. Uh, As we get to the close today, but we're going to do just a general overview here of man revelation and theism, and that is a particular order. That was not by accident that I put those in that particular order. So again, last week we looked at uh, terminology, uh, peer theology. So every one of us is going to have a different understanding of all of these doctrines and all of these different uh, lessons that we're going to go through in systematic theology, So, again, my encouragement to you is that you really push yourself and test yourself so that not only can you understand it yourself, but explain it to the peers that you have around you. So, this week, um, my uncle and I are sharing the theism, his systematic theology. We like the way that it's organized. So, last week was just a general overview of theology. Um, and, And this week, he began with man and theism... In Revelation. So there is a particular order as I said and I spent two or three days figuring out which one should come first. Should it be theism, that is the study or the, the uh, knowledge of God or at least of a creator or should it be man? Which one should we start with? And I probably about Wednesday I, I came to the conclusion I think that the proper doctrine to start with is that of man. And why do we start with man? Well, it's because it's who we are. Every single person in here is a human. We all have, or we've all been created in the image of God. We're all men, regardless of where we reside around the world. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. And in here, that's why we fight for life. We believe that every person at conception is a person in the image of God. So if we are not who we are, we would not be able to know God. And let me explain. Man has a conscience, rationality, or the ability to be rational. And because he does, he has the ability to know God. But why start with man and not God? That's an excellent question. In the natural order of things, it is patently clear that God is before all things. Again, we're reminded of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what was it? In the beginning, God. He is the preexistent, eternal, transcendent, immutable God. So let us not forget when we're looking at this doctrine of man, I'm no way saying that man is before God, or man is more important than God. It is patently clear that God is the creator of all things. So he is first and foremost. But the reason we start with man... ...is because of our minds. That is, our respective minds in here. And hang with me here for a second. From our perspective, as we stand here today... ...we have to begin with ourselves. We have to begin with man. And that is, our minds. Of course, it's knowledge that God is transcendent. He's created all things. But in order for us to know God... ...we have to use... Our minds. So God is out there, as you can think, God is in the universe, he's infinite. But in order for us to know God, we have to be able to think, we have to have knowledge, and we have to have our minds. All the knowledge we have about creation, ourselves and others, is found through and then into our minds. For us, our minds are the starting point of theology, that is of knowing God. If we didn't have our minds, we would just be like the rocks. A created thing, but no ability whatsoever to know God. It'd be like this Sharpie here. Is it's a created thing? It was created by man, but ultimately it was created and ordained and allowed to be created by God. But it has no rationality. It has no conscience. It has no ability to think or to know of God. But we do. So that is why, in this study, we start with mind we are given at our conception and it develops throughout our life but we are given reason a conscience in cognition at conception so let me just read further here humans are born with rationality and i'll explain here what rationality is here in a second although it's in different stages and it develops as we age A newborn has the same mind immediately at birth as it does when it's 85 years old and taking its breath, or taking its last breath. But of course, the the development and the stages of rationality and and, uh, cognition are, of course, different. But we all have a mind. But the capability to discern right from wrong differs greatly from a toddler, from elementary, high school, career, and obviously at the end of our lives. So again, as humans, we have the ability to be rational. And what is rationality? I think really just a brief example of rationality. Now, in philosophical terms, this is greatly debated, but for simplicity terms, I'm not able to necessarily explain what the philosopher's uh, reasons and understandings are. So we're just going to have a basic presupposition that rationality is 2 plus 2 equals 4. Now, there are some people who would say, well, two plus two, 2 plus 2 doesn't necessarily equal 4. But for us in here, for us simple people, we understand, we can rationally think through that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And that's what sets humans apart from the rest of the created order, as we'll see here in a couple of minutes. Is we have the ability, we have a conscience, we have a rationale in our minds where we can understand... And know God. So as uh, we get into Revelation here, does anyone have any comments or questions before I continue? And I hope as we continue along, I'm going to explain a little further um, what I I mean here. So if you're a bit perplexed or confused, just hang with me. Because I think it will make sense here in a couple minutes. Anyone have any comments or questions? Yes, Rick. (laughs) That is a great point. I actually had that as a point later on, so thank you. That's a great... You would never cross a bridge with someone who who doesn't know basic math. Yes. Well, just not a bowing one. So there's really two different forms of revelation that humans are able to understand or grasp. The first one is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's the intimate knowledge of God. It's intimate spiritual revelation that God has not given to every man, woman, and child that ever lives. It is only given by the Spirit of God. It's a knowledge that is alien to us. It's foreign to us when we're born. The Bible makes it patently clear, there is none righteous, no, not one. We were born in iniquity sin, You were aliens and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So this is a knowledge, this is a revelation that we do not have when we are born. This is a revelation given specifically by God through his Holy Spirit. And uh, some of you may be familiar in here when Martin Luther was writing about justification and the process of imputation. That is... Of Jesus Christ taking our right, uh, excuse me, Jesus Christ taking our sin, and then Jesus giving us His righteousness. He called it an alien righteousness, an alien righteousness. It was foreign to us. It was not something that we were born with. So it is with this type of revelation that's in our hearts and then into our minds. It is an alien revelation that we are not born with. ...as humans. It is only through the Spirit of God. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians... ...1 Corinthians 2.14... ...because the natural man receiveth not... ...the things of God. Why? Because of the hearts of stone. Their minds are incapable of understanding... ...the things of God. As fallen man... ...this second type of knowledge is something... ...again, we're not born with. It is only under as R.C. Sproul says, I love this term, the divine initiative when the Holy Spirit overshadows our hearts, smashes the heart of stone, changes the heart into flesh, which then in turn changes our minds to be disposed of and to the things of God, are we then able to know and see the beauty of this intimate, alien knowledge revelation that we have been given in Christ Really, it's Christ is king knowledge. Christ is king revelation. The Muslim doesn't have it. The atheist doesn't have it. The Hindu doesn't have it. Only those who have been changed in the likeness of Christ have it. John ten fourteen and 15, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. You see what Jesus is saying here? I know my own, and those who have the Spirit of Christ know through the direct, intimate revelation of the Holy Spirit, know Christ as their shepherd. And again, we know it as it goes into our hearts, but it's also a head knowledge. That we now know that Jesus Christ is King, he, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, and then He changes our disposition. He changes our mind through the fruits of the Spirit, the things that we want to do. So that's the intimate knowledge or the intimate revelation that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. But it's not given. It's uh, excuse me. It's not given universally to all of mankind. Now, the second type of revelation or knowledge which we're able to see and understand in our minds is, according to the Bible, given to every man, woman, and child who is born. This is the knowledge or revelation that every human is ingrained with at conception through the instrument of our minds. And I use the term instrument here, it's striking. I was looking for some commentaries, uh, systematic theology, in the library here, and uh, I picked out a book. It said James Boyce on it. I said, "Oh, wonderful! James Montgomery Boyce wrote a systematic theology. I think that would be very, uh, excuse me, very beneficial." <laughs> Once I was walking out, it said James P. Boyce, not James Montgomery Boyce. And James P. Boyce, James Pettigrew Boyce, was the founding or one of the founding fathers of uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, it was down in South Carolina, now it's down in Louisville. But he was a strong Calvinistic individual, and I've found his uh, systematic theology very beneficial. But he came up with this uh, term, our minds are instruments of understanding. I mean, as a violin, as Gabby plays the violin on Sunday mornings, or as Stephanie plays the piano on Sunday mornings, they're merely an instrument. They're, com- they're nothing without the person behind them. And so it is with our mind, unless we use them, they're really nothing. So what James P. Boyce is saying here is that our minds are the instrument by which we can see the revelation that is around us. And that is the general knowledge of God. And James P. Boyce says this, The mind is not itself an original source of knowledge, like the scriptures, but is merely an instrument by which man attains knowledge through the exercise of its its appropriate faculties. Meaning, we have to use our minds to see the revelation that is around us. And again, kind of to pair to what I said earlier, unlike many of the other created order, the created things, say, for example, this sharpie here, but if you want to use something more sophisticated, say a gorilla, a whale, or crows, Though brilliant in animalistic terms, have not been given the conscience or rational ability, that is, the instrument of their minds are not capable to understand right from wrong or see creation from the creator, that is God. My grandpa was telling me a story, they put their trash out on the curb, and he said the crows would pick holes in their garbage bags and pick out the trash. I never heard such a thing, but I do understand that crows are brilliant animals but they're nothing in comparison to that of humankind. They are not able to understand and see and rationalize all that is around them is from God. Turn with me, if you would, real quick to Romans chapter 1. We looked at this last year, and we won't be in here for very long, but kind of just to get a gist of what I'm saying here. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Again, this sets us apart from the rest of the created order, even the intelligent animals. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the Apostle Paul is not just condemning the Jews here, he's not just condemning the local Greeks, he's not just condemning the Romans. He has put, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all mankind under the condemnation of refusing to see and believe that the created order points to God. And that is the second type of knowledge or revelation. Every man, woman, and child ever born. Now, you can get into the case of people with special needs and low IQ people. That's a different discussion. But generally speaking, all of mankind is under... The wrath of God wise because they refused to accept and acknowledge that the created order around them points to God. The general knowledge is found externally. We can look at the trees outside. We can look at the animals. We can look at ourselves and see that we came from somewhere else. Some higher being, some greater being, as I would conclude, some eternal being had to make us. But what Paul is saying here is that the natural man suppresses that in their heart. They despise that. They hate that. They hate to know that they were created by someone greater. Why? Is because I think the inerrant uh, sin with inside of us is pride, wanting to boast and proclaim ourselves as our own gods. But nonetheless, it's still true, is that what can't be known of God is all around us in the created order. Nevertheless, again, the mind is universally the same in humans. With our minds we think, with our minds we know, and with our minds we can reason. Now, this is, uh, again, going back to cognition and rationality and us being able to think, unlike the rest of the created animals. And uh, this is from psychology today, which I uh, found kind of fascinating. Something that we understand, we get our rationality from God, our ability to think from God... Why? Is because we're made in the image of God unlike any other creation. But psychology today, and these psychologists are dumbfounded where humans got their reason from. And listen to this. One of the great mysteries of science is how the physical molecules we humans are made of, the same things everything else in the universe is made of, give rise to the mental state of awareness and hopefully understanding of what is going on around us and to a considerable degree inside our own bodies and minds. The how of consciousness of consciousness has been dubbed the easy problem of consciousness. Even even more puzzling is why we have such awareness. The psychologists, the intellects, the wise, as Paul would say in First Corinthians one, of this world are dumbfounded why humans are different from the rest of the created order. I think, personally, that's a kind of a hole in the argument of evolution, is where in the line, millions of years ago, did humans just suddenly develop this ability to think and to reason, unlike any of the other created animals? Gorillas, again, are brilliant, but they have not the capacity to know right from wrong that humans and mankind does. And they go on and they say, philosophers have been trying to figure out what consciousness is And what grand purpose it serves since Socrates strode the streets of Athens. It may be that no one will know why consciousness exists until physicians can explain why the universe exists or scientists understand the relationship between the mind and the body. Again, isn't that dumbfounding? All they need to do is open up their Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1 and they can see the answer. We have been given a rationality and a consciousness, the ability to be able to think wise because we're made in the image of God. We are the chief pinnacle of creation. And again, from these people here, according to Romans chapter 1, they're suppressing the truth. They think that, oh, you know, it was sometime in the universe, sometimes billion of years ago, billions of years ago, we developed this rationality. But what do we know as Christians? It was given to us by God and that God has revealed himself all throughout creation. Paul warns this in 1 Timothy four two. He's talking to young Timothy. He says this in the latter times, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron. So there's another case, we've all been given a conscience and rationality as humans, but some people, they suppress it so bad, they have seared it ...with a hot iron. They have basically turned it over to themselves. I think perhaps you see an example of this in the Old Testament... ...with the Exodus. And we see where God, as it were, hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Now, God hardening the heart of Pharaoh... ...was a withdrawing of the general grace... ...that God had given to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. General grace is our consciousness... General grace is the ability for us to look outside and see the created order. But when people harden their hearts, God will withdraw that reasonableness, that rationality, that conscience, and their hearts will become harder. They will, as it were, spurn even more the knowledge of God. They will hate the thing, they will hate God even more and His created order and flee even further from God. The Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The danger of man is suppressing the truth and God turning their heart over to the natural inclinations of man, i.e. their sin. See, for example, Pharaoh. So I hope I you were able to see the difference between the intimate revelation that we're given, that we can see in our minds, that is the knowledge of Christ, and the general revelation that all man will be held accountable for on the day of judgment, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2. So as uh, we finish up here, just briefly, man and revelation. Anyone have any comments or questions? Anything that needs to be clarified? Correct. So they can learn animals. We have a greater ability of reason that I a gorilla, they know who the head gorilla is. Sure. Correct. Animals do have the ability to think, not in a cognitive way in to create a material. I would say they don't have the ability to I guess you get in the Psalms, Proverbs, you know, the rocks fall down and proclaim the name of God. But the creatures outside of hum, uh, humanity does not have the ability to intimately know God that we do. Correct. Uh, I always think of this. I think it was in 2016 at the Cincinnati Zoo. Remember Harambe, the gorilla, when the kid fell in the enclosure? Now, there was some environmentalist wackos who said, I saw this tweet, this lady tweeted. She said, There's 7 billion humans in the world, but there's only 200,000 silverback gorillas. Basically insinuating that that kid's life was worth less than the gorilla. But I think every person in here would say if that was their child, or just having an honest opinion of it, is that that human life was worth more than that gorilla. And again, I think that goes back to show the rationality that humans have been given. I'm not saying gorillas, it's a travesty that they had to shoot... The gorilla, because they are amazing creatures. But there is a creative difference between the animals and humans. Yes, Pete? 100%. I think someone actually responded and said that. Well, why don't we put you in there? But there, there is truth to it. I mean, it, it, it sounds crass, but there is truth to it. Every person knows that a human intrinsically, they at least think themselves more important than humans. You don't see all these environmentalist people, you know, killing themselves for the whale or any of that stuff. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of creation. We are responsible for taking care of creation. But humans are more important than the created order. Why? because we see this, man was made in the image of God. We have been given responsibility over creation. Exactly. Atresa said, even people with a lower IQ, it's amazing, their their understanding of God still. They still have the ability to know and, and understand the basic premises of God. And of course, there are Severe cases where someone may be severely handicapped, Um, but I think that's a different discussion for a different time. Oh, yeah, exactly. Tom, if you didn't hear, Tom just said when they went to dog training school in Columbus, and the dog is in the cabin of like a plane, and it depressurizes you take care of yourself first, and then you go after the dog. That's a good example. All right, so the last topic we're just going to look at briefly here is theism. And this is not necessarily the study of The triune God, this is a study of God and the viewpoint of God in different societies and different belief systems around the world. I think next week, um, Uncle Ray will look at non-theistic views, so atheistic views, agnostic views. So this does not necessarily include that. So what is theism? Many of us can give a working definition as to what theism is. Webster's Dictionary defines it as thus. Belief in the existence of God, or God specifically. Belief in the existence of one God viewed as the creative source of the human race and the world who transcends yet is imminent in the world. And when I say transcend, we'll we'll talk about this later on when we go into the attributes of God, but transcend means God is not trapped or in time and space as we are. But yet, meaning God is above time and space, but yet he's also imminent. We're also able to see God, again, in the created order. We're able to see him when we look outside, and we see the trees, and we see ourselves. So that's transcendence, and that's imminence. And that's really a basic tenet of theism. Now, there's really four beliefs that theicin, uh lists here for uh, theism. The first one being is belief in supernatural power, or supernatural powers, plural, and uh, this is, I kind of like to think of the, I always have like a picture of an old lady and you ask her, you know, what are your religious beliefs? And she just says to, she just kind of whispers to you in a low voice, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. That's kind of what I get from this number one, is there is a belief in the supernatural, but your belief is all over the place. So number one is belief in the supernatural. There is something greater than us. Number two is belief in the existence of but one God. Can be, can be monotheistic, pantheistic, or deism. Or deistic. Belief in one God. Again, I'm not saying these are orthodox views, these are just the differing views of theism that is, a, a belief in God. Number three, so we're getting a little warmer to where we stand. Number three is a belief in a personal God, and that would be major religions such as Islam, Judaism, and Unitarianism. Personal, Islam, Judaism, and then Unitarianism is... They would probably try to masquerade themselves as Christian. At least some of them would, but they believe just in one God, God the Father. So that's number three. That's the third view of theism. And number four is the belief in a personal God, both imminent and transcendent, exists in the Trinity. So this is the orthodox view of theism, that of what we believe. This is the only true and authentic view of God. It's the classic Christian, Protestant, I would say Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox view. So you could say Christendom as a whole. We would agree with the Trinity, with the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Orthodox Church, and some other Christian uh, sects. The Westminster Shorter Catechism has this definition of God. They say, God is spirit, God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable, In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism on God. Since we, who are here today, are theists, meaning we believe that God exists, we will begin with the basic presupposition of God's eternality with respect to man. And there's so many different avenues that you can go down that I'm not sophisticated enough to be able to explain up here. And I think would be going down a deep rabbit hole that... um, may not be the best use of our time. So it's, it's fair to say that in theism, we may not have allies who are necessarily Christian. So we can agree with the Unitarians that God exists. We can agree with the Muslims and the Jews. And even to a certain extent, we can agree with like the Hindus that there is a greater power. And that doesn't mean there are close allies, but maybe in our fight with the atheistic agnostic worldview... You may share or agree on certain tenets. Now, in um, Theism section, he um, next goes into the defense of theism, and this has been an ongoing. Ab- yes, Becky. Uh yes. Yep. It's a. Uh, yeah, there is a polytheism there. Poly meaning, yeah, correct. There- yeah, yeah, uh, number one can't have numerous gods. So you can have like the Hindus and uh, other, other pagan religions. So that's a basic overview of theism. Now, I'm running short on time. Give me about, I knew I, I had too much stuff this week, but couldn't help myself. Um, everyone got a handout. So these are pretty much just the the notes that I I typed up. And I thought it was beneficial. Um, not that we're going to be able to memorize or know all of these things in here, but I think it's, uh, very good for each Christian, at least have a general understanding of apologetics and the different ways that we can defend God. Why? Because Peter tells us we're supposed to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Now, that does vary greatly with certain Christians, theologians. There's a, a varying degree of uh, apologetics in the way you go about defending theism on the, on the theological uh, spectrum. So, how can we prove the existence of God when we're asked by atheists or agnostics? So, the theist lists the first one, A, God is intuitive to our nature. As we discussed before, it's in our conscience rationality observes the created order and understands that God exists. So some people would say there's not even a debate, there's not even an argument. They would tell the atheist, the agnostic person, we're not even a debate that God exists. You already know that he exists and the scripture to prove that is again Romans 1:19 because that which is known of God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Regardless of where you look in humanity, you will see religious elements within almost every culture. The Chinese, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Scandinavians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Incans, all six continents around the world, all of them have some form of religion. Whether it's polytheistic or something entirely different, almost all of these cultures inherently have a God or gods who are higher or greater than they are. And that's the point here. These cultures are not commended for their views. Uh, Romans one twenty three, They exchange the glory of the incorruptible, uh, incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And we see that all throughout the uh, Old Testament. We remember Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. So we see this as, yes, all these cultures believe in God, but they're not necessarily commended for believing in God because it's a perversion of the true God. And I would have to say, religion has committed some heinous attacks on other humans throughout history. And the Christians and Christianity have not been immune to going after other groups of people, but the greatest perpetrators of violence really have been in the last 100 years. And what societies are they? They're the atheistic societies of Bolshevik Russia, of Red China, and you can go back before that to the 17th or the 18th century, the French Revolution. You want to talk about a complete, utter reversal? From theism and any understanding of God, look at the French Revolution and the travesty and chaos throwing God out of your culture has. They had what was called the cult of reason, where basically God was banished and that they were going to have laws just based on basic rationality. Complete chaos. The French, during that time period, changed the calendar. They tried to make eight days of the week. They shut down the church. They arrested Christians and all sorts of stuff. It was complete and utter chaos. So I think we can say that atheistic cultures, generally speaking, are far more chaotic than even other religious cultures. And again, I need to to hurry up here. Uh, B, the existence of God is assumed by scriptures. Now these are two main schools of orthodox theological thought, B and C. So B is what's called the presuppositional argument. It starts with the presupposition of all knowledge. And really the, uh, the one who came up with this theory is uh, Cornelius Van Till. And he was a, uh, a professor, I believe, at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Some of you may know who he was. He's since passed away. But he was the main perpetrator of this belief. He says the only proof of the Christian position is that unless its truth is presupposed, there is no possibility of proving anything at all. So his point is, if you go up to an atheist and they say, prove the existence of God, he wouldn't even prove the existence of God. He would take them right to scripture. He would take them to Romans chapter 1 or Hebrews chapter 1 and see that God already exists. And I would have to say that the presuppositional argument of apologetics is probably the predominant viewpoint in Christendom today. You presuppose that God exists. You don't even argue with the atheist that God exists. Why? is because they would go to Romans chapter 1 and say, you already know God exists, you're just suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And then C, belief in God is corroborated by belief in arguments. And this is really classic apologetics. And you have five, five different ways of really going about defending God and the belief in the existence of God. The first one is the cosmological argument. Oliver Burswell states, if something now exists, something must be eternal unless something comes from nothing. Basic deduction. Would any scientist say that something comes from nothing? No. If they did, they'd be thrown out of their university, rightly so. So the argument here, the cosmological argument for theism or for God is that something has to be Eternal. Something intelligent must be the first cause. The next one is the teleological argument. Some of these are better than others, as we'll see here. Order and useful arrangements in a system imply intelligence and purpose in the organizing cause. The universe is characterized by order and useful arrangement. Therefore, the universe has an intelligent and free cause. Some scriptural support for that is Psalm 19.1, for the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are the telling of the glory of God, and their expanse declaring the works of his hand. This argument is saying is that since there's order in the world, it has to come from an orderly being that is eternal. The downfall with this is this proves intelligence, but not necessarily the existence of God. The ontological argument uh, hosts uh, Um, Herman Hoeksema, he was a Dutch theologian, says, argues that we have an idea of God. This idea of God is infinitely greater than man himself. Hence, it cannot have its origins in man. It can only have its origins in God himself. And the main perpetrator of this theory was Anselm of Canterbury nearly a thousand years ago. This may be a little complicated, but basically it's saying is that our view of God is infinite, and since we're finite creatures, it can't start with us. It has to come from somewhere else, that being God. And then the moral argument, again, Herman hooksema says, Every man has a sense of obligation of what is right and wrong, together with undeniable feelings of responsibility to do what is right and a sense of self-condemnation when he commits what is evil. I would dare say that the vast majority of humankind, if you threw a baby off a cliff into the sea below, would inherently know that that is wrong no matter where they came from. That's the point of that argument. And and finally, argument from congruity. The belief in the existence of God best explains the facts of our moral, mental, and religious nature, meaning the existence of God is the best explanation of why we're here, why we have rationality, and why we have intelligence. So read through that. If you have any questions, I'm sorry I'm a little a little over today, but if you have any questions, let me know, and uh, Uncle Ray will be looking at uh, the non worldviews next week. Thank you.